I inquired at the hotel for the name of a reliable private detective. They mentioned yours. Suppose you tell me about it from the very beginning. I'm from New York. Uh-huh. I'm trying to find my sister. I have reason to believe that she's here in San Francisco with a man by the name of Thursby. Okay, Hello and welcome. Welcome and hello. This is Wait You Haven't Seen. It's a show where we talk about movies and specifically, we talk about a movie at least one of us has never seen before. I'm your host Travis, aka TV's Travis. This is episode number 164 and our movie this week was 1941's The Maltese Falcon. Here to talk with me about it is Kurt, a VO by Kurt. Kurt, how you doing? Hey, everything's going great. Uh, I, I gotta tell you, just... I was looking forward to watching this, and I'm so happy I did. <laughs> um, it was, but it, 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 and it hit me differently than I expected. So, yeah. So this was one I was also seeing it for the first time. Um, I mean, I oh, know, okay. I know the character Sam Spade. I know the the basics of the Maltese Falcon plot. It's it's in, almost impossible not to if you're into right into noir if you're into hard-boiled detectives any of that kind of stuff so humphrey bogart it doesn't matter like somehow or another you've you've seen it like a spoof of it or an homage to it or whatever um but i i kind of same thing like it it hit me a little differently than i was expecting it to but boy did i have fun with this one really it was a lot of fun it was just like i had so much fun watching this movie um and and yeah i mean it really sam spade is kind of the uh the archetype, right, for the for the hard-boiled detective. I mean... He is, which is impressive, given that he's in one novel. <laughs> right. Right. It's crazy. You know, you would think, yeah. like, when I think hard-boiled detective, the first name that comes to mind is Sam Spade. Like, it's such a great name for a private eye. Um, right. And I, I, I'm, like you, I would have sworn that there was a series of novels. Yeah, because right. Because... That 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 kind of thing was not unusual. I mean, you know, even going back to like the Doc Savage stuff, and you know, just all those kind of adventure type novels and whatnot that that were around forever. Sam Spade would have fit right into that. Yeah, and I know he was a um, uh, he was an influence on the character of Philip Marlowe, who sure was in a a series of of stuff, and he they did. There was a couple of short stories, but there's only the one novel, and it's just crazy because I can think of uh, one of my favorite kind of murder mystery movies is Murder by Death, um, mm-hmm. and I don't know if you've ever seen that or not, but it's a great... I'm not. So it is a great murder... Think of it like it influenced Clue a lot. Clue, Clue yeah. has a lot of the DNA of Murder by Death. It was written by Neil Simon, and it's, uh, it is a spoof and a parody on... Uh, detective fiction. So they have their analog for um, like uh, Hercule Poirot. They have um, their, and and they have in that is Peter Falk playing Sam Diamond. And he (laughs) is, he is literally just doing a caricature of Humphrey Bogart. And it's like a mixture of Humphrey Bogart, Sam Spade and Columbo. Well, I was just going to say Columbo must have snuck in there somehow. Oh, absolutely. But it's yeah. Sam Diamond. He's even got his secretary with him. He's always calling her doll face and baby and all of that. And it's <laughs> it's brilliant. So, yeah. like, watching this, I was like, oh, yep, yep, there's all of it right there. What's funny is when you mentioned the movie, my initial thought was, oh, yeah, Maltese Falcon, that's a great choice. And then I realized I've never actually watched it. 
So uh, yeah, because I, w- I was going to ask you that tonight because I I didn't know if you if you had said that you watched it or not. So yeah, it's, um, uh, it's something. This is the third version of the Maltese Falcon that was put to film. Um, the other two, there was one in 1931, which Ace in our chat has mentioned, uh, preferring the 1931 pre-code version. Um, right. And then there was another one. It was like uh, I can't think of the title of it now. Satan gave me something like that. Um, but it was uh, John Houston famous or said he did not like either of those versions essentially and wanted to make his own Com- right. coupled with um, he also had uh, had done a script for Juarez a couple of years earlier and he didn't like the way it got rewritten by the director. So he kind of made a claim like that's it. I'm going to direct my own scripts. Right. So this was his directorial debut. John Huston's directorial Which debut is, crazy. is the Maltese Falcon. Like, <laughs> sure, let's just hit a home run in our first at bat. Why not? Right, right. And <laughs> retire. Yeah. <laughs> and and it set up a great friendship with Bogart and him. And he worked with Bogart a bunch. He worked with Peter Lorre and uh, Sidney Greenstreet a few times after this. <sighs> Peter and, Lorre was so good in this. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, I mean... The whole cast, like up and down this cast. Yeah. So let's start with it, it was a great cast. Yeah, let's let's start with Bogey because Humphrey Bogart is like Satan met a lady. Thank you, Ace. Um, yeah. Humphrey Bogart in this is just he's not what the novelized version of Sam Spade is. Like the description in the novel, apparently, and and I would like to read the novel sometime. Um, but the novel's description of Sam Spade is that he's a uh, tall, kind of well built. Uh, blonde, has a hook <laughs> nose, like not Humphrey Bogart at all. Um, right. But he might as well, he should be, because I think hum, I think Bogart like embodies that that feel of what, uh, he is what Private Eyes wanted to be. Is, sure. Is what Humphrey Bogart playing Sam Spade. Like that's what they, in their mind, like every Private Eye pictures themselves as Sam Spade in the Maltese Falcon. And he's just so effortlessly cool. The whole time, like the whole time. I mean, I, you don't even see him get rattled once. It's just, it's both amazing and unnerving. <laughs> it is. <laughs> I would say there's one moment where he does get rattled. And it's his first meeting with um, the fat man, where he kind of storms out. He yells at him a couple times and storms oh, out. Oh, you're right. You're right. Yeah, 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 yeah. But you almost like the first time watching it, my thought was, no, this is an act. He's doing, he's, he's putting on an act for this guy and over. Uh, that's what I thought too. But then, but then it went a little bit too far. Yeah. Like it, it, right. And so, yeah. Um, yeah. It, but he, so a couple of things struck me with this. And that is one, like this, I, I always look at the technology. <laughs> when I'm yep. watching older movies like this, and for for whatever reason, this one stuck out more to me from everything from uh, the old timey phones, like yep. where where you you take the the earpiece off the receiver and you use that separately, and and the way that he just held that as a portable type phone versus just keeping it on the desk, because I always want to know. How do people? How were people actually using that technology back then? Like, what were the common ways to just interact with that technology? And yeah. that was kind of fascinating. But also, the desk lighters. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> oh because I saw that and I was like, I quit smoking. 
years ago, and I want one of those lighters just to have in my house. I just want to be able to light just, it all yeah, the time. <laughs> I just want to light it and put it out and just have it. That was the coolest thing I've ever seen. It's like a Ronson, uh, I think is the brand, Ronson. And, but it's just, yep. it was this really cool lighter they made for like 20 years back then. That yeah, and it, it, it's so cool. It was, I'm, I love that you And they rolled all too. their cigarettes, apparently. Yeah, that's just what you did. And, and, and when you didn't have a free hand, your secretary rolled it for you. I mean, look, look. I quit smoking. I don't. Pro- I don't promote smoking at all. But how cool does Humphrey Bogart look sitting in his desk, rolling a cigarette with that, with the light coming through? Like, just. I mean. Yeah. I mean, come on. Like, don't yeah. smoke. But I, seriously, I, I've never been just, a smoker, but but man, just I roll can them see how and then started after that. Yeah, just just <laughs> roll your own cigarettes and then and then toss them. Don't actually smoke them, right. but just have that look of rolling your own. But ah, uh, he just. There was something about Bogart that just he just had this way about him, and and you're right. It's like it's unsettling how unflappable he is, how quickly he can roll with whatever situation was going on. There's even a line that um, John, um, Joel Cairo has. It's like you always have a smooth explanation for everything, and fast. Like he was uh, granted. Uh, look, I, I understand it's a scripted thing, <laughs> but but the just how quickly the adjustment happened, and it was just. Oh yeah, oh, it was remarkable. It was it was remarkable, um, and and it made me kind of happy that there weren't real people. It <laughs> could be that quick. Yeah, um, and yeah. This is, so I was just no, going to say it's a very dialogue heavy movie too. So very, very. Is, I was not expecting that. Yeah, it's not like an, there's not action sequences. There's not these long drawn out mo- uh, periods of like no dialogue. It's it's people talking in rooms, and then moving yeah, and, to another and, and room. There are and two talking. actions. I yeah. hit you, you hit the floor. Yeah, exactly. Yep. <laughs> Apparently Humphrey Bogart has fists like concrete. Apparently, yeah. <laughs> so the the other thing that that struck me overall in this movie was I laughed more than I thought I was going to. Yeah, it's and, funny. And, and well, and I think part of it is the period language. Mm-hmm. Or what we're led to believe is the period language. I don't know if that's really the way it was back then, but Man, some of those lines, uh, you know, like uh, he's talking to the cops. He says, "You birds are getting foxy." <laughs> yeah. Going, oh yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I later on, I have a couple of audio clips I want to play of some of the the language and the the lingo that they used because I love that stuff. Like, I love old noir films for that reason. So, so I know that the Mid Atlantic accent that you heard in a lot of early Hollywood is not really a way anybody spoke outside right, of movies right. it was really a lot of that was early recording equipment just couldn't pick up the fidelity of voices so they came up with this accent that made it easier on the microphones right and i get that yeah, yeah. my one of my favorite things to find on youtube is video clips of actors uh like outtakes or or broken takes where they will drop mm-hmm. the accent midway through because it's so great to see like carrie right. grant and he's doing his mid-atlantic accent and all of a sudden he just drops it and is like rah, 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 rah. it's like Whoa! Wait a second. That's what he sounds like. Whoa! <laughs> I love that. But yeah, because that's that. That is the remarkable thing. How consistent they all are with the, oh, yeah. those accents. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's amazing. No wonder people were were trying to figure out where's that from. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I I also love the lingo, the language, it's things that they yes. would use to get around uh, some of the censoring. So they could they could use pejorative terms like uh, gunsel, which. Um, he kept calling uh, Wilmer a gunsel, which is um, 
I want to say it was something to do with like baby goose or little goose uh, in mm, Yiddish, okay. I believe. Um, if I recall that correctly, and I could be wrong on that, but it that's what it roughly translated to, which could have a couple of different connotations depending on what you want, but it sort of it was one of those things where it kind of slipped past. Like you could get away with that, but also things like uh, the the cop saying horse feathers, like right. Right. that's one I and I've heard that before, and that's one I like to use because it's just fun to like. It throws people off when you're just like ah horse feathers, right? Um, well, that's the other part is like his his interaction with the cops. Mm-hmm. Mm. He's like going, yeah, do whatever you want. I don't care. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> except he, for the, oh. the he goes, yeah, you got a warrant? Well, that's all right. You, but, you can go get one. But even just the way he dealt with them, like we think of it now, even with a private detective, there would be a more antagonistic relationship between the yes. police and and the civilian. And here he is, like telling them, no, get out of here. No, you can't do this. Like, yeah, sure, whatever. Go around all you want. Wait, you got a warrant? Um, and then he's like, I'll trust you more if you have a drink with me. And he's pouring them, yeah. he's pouring them liquor in his apartment. Like, ooh, pardon me, all of that. Like, it's just, I loved all of it. And it was a bit, but it was also so weird and discordant to what I'm expecting yes. it to be. And, and so yeah, that was it, a it, lot of fun. It, so that's the thing. The, the language, I think the language is probably what got me to laugh more um, during this movie because I wasn't expecting the turns of phrases that, that he was using. Um, yeah. There was, there was a time where, where he's going up to Joel Cairo and he's, he's, he slaps him and he, and Joel Cairo, like he protests. He goes, when you're slapped, you'll take it and like it. Yeah. He just slaps him a couple more times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, like, man. Oh my God. So and, good. And, and only you only get away with that in a movie or when your friends like Humphrey Bogart and Peter Lorre were. Like, right. Because he probably, I mean, he gives him a couple of good slaps. He does. Those, he doesn't does. pull those. And they were famously very, very good friends after this movie. Um, in part because they I- both could drink like fish. Right. So. <laughs> How creepy was Peter Lorre in this movie, though? I mean, I just, the creep factor went up high for me. Oh, for this. sure. I mean, you know, he's got a look about him. It's funny, too, because every time Peter Lorre comes onto a screen when I'm watching it, I'm reminded that the character of Ren Hoek from Ren and Stimpy mm-hmm. was based on Peter Lorre. It's and then right, I'm like, that's right. right. He was, and I can see it every single time. Yes. But he just has this ability to be like almost non-threateningly creepy, but but you you don't trust anything that's coming out of his mouth at all, ever. But he's like right. he, he's he's this tiny little person and he doesn't look threatening, but he's got those bug eyes. And then just there's something about his cadence and the way like the 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 tone that he uses in his voice, the way he like holds on to certain words and other words he lets kind of slip through. That. Right, and he's and he's a small man too. So it, it looks like, you know, you look at him and see his, the way he acts. You're going, ah, he's not a threat, except maybe he is. <laughs> and, and 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 if he's a threat, I don't want to find out how because it's right. going to be really ugly. <laughs> yeah, he he is. It's like, oh no, he's not a threat. And then as he keeps talking, you think, no, no, he could be a threat, and in no way that I ever want to find out. Um, exactly, because he's exactly. going to he's going to be like. Uh, I don't know, uh, some sort of weird serial killer threat. Like that's the that's the kind of vibe he can give off, right? And, right. And it's amazing. And I like I love seeing Peter Lorre and stuff because he also 
he not only does he have that creep factor, but then he's like, there's something fun about him on screen too. It's a yes. weird, yes. it's a weird mixture. Well, like like the opening scene with him, he walks in, he takes off one glove. Yes, not both gloves, <laughs> one glove, and then he all but licks the handle of his cane, <laughs> and I'm going, what is happening here? He's and then he has a gun in the ungloved hand, and I'm going, well. Maybe that's the reason for taking off the glove, but I'm still not sure. Like, <laughs> no. I like the other hand might be mangled. I have no idea. None, and it's so it's so well done. And then, and I love how easily he's like, "Can I have my gun back, please?" And Sam just is like, "Oh yeah, that's right," and gives it to him. And he just takes it, and without hesitation, he's like, "Put your hands, interlock them behind your head. I'm going to search your your office now." Like he is determined just laughs. to he do goes, this. Yeah, whatever. It's fine. Oh, yeah. it's so good. But yes, Peter Laurie. And I I wanted more of him in the movie because he kind of disappears for a while. Um, right. But it's because he gets taken to the cops. But then I love how quickly the character is written to uh, be very much like Sam and that he rolls with everything so fast. So True. he's there. They're having their confrontation when the police show up. And so Sam goes to talk to them. And Joel Cairo, like... Joel and Bridget or Bridget both roll with Sam's story immediately. Like they catch right on. These are, these are diabolical people that think quickly on their feet. And I love that. Are you talking about the scene where, where Bridget basically smacks. Oh, (laughs) just slaps him around. uh, Yeah. Yeah. And then the cops are like, and yeah. And they, and Spade just like makes up this story and they, they, they roll with it so quickly (laughs) and just go, yeah, I fell. Yep, exactly. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Just goes with it. And then the way he leaves where he's like, he starts to walk away and Sam's like, where are you going? Well, it's late and I just don't want to be here anymore. And just kind of goes to leave. <laughs> but he's, yeah, oh, he's it, so good. Yeah, it really was. Uh, so uh, I will say only because I don't want to forget it. I found an Easter egg. Oh, do tell. <laughs> and and I, I, will tell, I will tell you that had I not been so accustomed to looking for Easter eggs nowadays... <laughs> In, in a lot of the Marvel stuff that I review. Um, I'm not sure I would have noticed. But when uh, Sam is talking with the police uh, about Archer, mm-hmm. um, there's on the on the wall, on the brick wall behind them, is an old poster for a movie called Swing Your Lady. Oh, yeah. Which yeah. is a movie that Bogart did in 1938. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was, it was just, I, I, I saw it and I went, is that a real thing? And I went and looked, and yep, sure enough. I was like, okay, so Easter eggs back then, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Because you don't think about that kind of thing. I read about another one, uh, and I'll mention it before I forget, was there was one that they had. It was like the girl from Albany. Albany. And that was a poking fun at the fact that Warner Brothers wanted to retitle this from the Maltese Falcon to The Gent from Frisco. Right. Which is a terrible title. Uh, Terrible title. And would not have worked (laughs) at all. Um, right. So yeah, I'm glad yeah, they didn't. I did do that. see that too, because uh, I because after I looked up the swing your lady, I I looked up the the girl from Albany and I read all that uh, about all that and so, uh, <laughs> but yeah, um, I don't know. I fi- I thought it was really fun finding a little Easter egg in yeah. an old movie like that because you just don't think about that kind of thing. You don't, but that almost feels like the type of thing that a first-time director would do. Somebody who's brand new to it would be like, you know what, this could be kind of fun. Because I'm going to get into some some cool stories I read uh, about 
the filming of this, and this had to have been a good time. Like, it just had to have been. Um, you would think. Jerome Cohen, by the way, is who played Miles Archer, uh, and he's only on screen for two minutes. He's literally right. in the office, and then he gets shot. Um, but boy, could the character of Miles Archer been been portrayed as any more of a creep? Like, oh my god! So I literally in my notes I wrote Archer's a lech. <laughs> he really is. And then you <laughs> find mean, out he's, he's married. Right, right. I mean, and and for somebody who is on screen so little, he his character got established so quickly. Mm-hmm. Um. And, and and like when he walks in and sees Shaughnessy or Wonderly at the time, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, sees her and just like he's behind her, like making those lecherous eyes at her, at her. And I'm just going, holy crap, what's going on? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was and, a whole, yeah. the whole Archer subplot was interesting. It probably, I'm guessing, is covered more in the book. Um, you would think. Because. I know that it like it seems really callous of the way that here's his partner who got shot and like the next the day of he's saying take the names off the door and put you know my name on the door. Right. I guess the 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 idea is that their relationship was somewhat strained and like he was Sam was thinking about already doing that. Um Well, didn't uh did they talk about it in the movie or did I read it? I can't remember, but they they talked about how uh his wife had asked him for a divorce so that he could be with Sam, or she could be with Sam. Yeah, I don't know and if they I can't mentioned remember if that, that was part of the dialogue or not. But they, there's stuff in the dialogue, like her obviously coming to Sam right away and asking if he right. killed Miles. Like that's just, I mean, ooh, I did, I like that wasn't something I expected was for her to ask him that right well, away. Well, that was a lot of that, a lot of those pl- plot points, a lot of those like story moving uh, plot points happened so quickly like like there was no build up to them there was no let's form the foundation of this it's just like oh yeah yeah she's been sleeping with him and and yep, <laughs> did, exactly. did you kill my husband <laughs> like, uh, okay and and i love his reaction too because his reaction is perfect it's like why where would you hear that and then he just laughs about it um yeah but yeah he was uh he was quite a bit of fun sydney green street all right we got to talk about mm. this guy uh, Casper Gutman. Uh, I love the names in this, by the way. Yeah. Casper Gutman, yeah. Joel Cairo. Sydney Greenstreet had been acting on stage for something like 30 or 40 years at this point, but this was his first right. filmed acting role. Which is crazy. And he got an Academy Award nomination for supporting actor for it. Um, he was great. Like, As can, well he should have. I mean, because that, that was amazing. It, was it a, really was. It was such a good performance. He vacillated between like jovial and friendly, but then there was this sinister line that would fall just under the surface that occasionally would would perk up. But most of the time, like he was very a- amiable and he was very friendly. Uh, well, but he was almost like the opposite Spade, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it, it, it's it it was like because he was just as quick. Oh, absolutely. You know, and 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 he had immediate respect for Sam Spade. Like when they got together, he's going, yeah. okay, all right, I get you. <laughs> you know, you passed the tests. Yeah. Uh, yep. I know who, I know what I'm dealing with now. It's, 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 and you know, one of the things I, I wrote down as a, as a note was when they filmed that, that first interaction with Spade and green Spade and, and, and fat man, uh, Gutman yep. <laughs> in, in, uh, in that, that, uh, living room area, that parlor area, they filmed Green Street down, like lower, 
to give him even a more yes. rotund look to to him to make him even more imposing. It was just kind again, of a brilliant cinematography thing. Again, we're talking about a first time film director, and he's he's willing to he's doing he's setting stuff up like this because uh, John Huston storyboarded everything and he kind of plotted everything out. So his shooting script is is exactly what we got in the film. There was hardly right. any changes made in the in the edit. And to block stuff out like that and then work with, um, you know, work with your cinematographer and your director of photography to get the lighting right. But to, to think to have, okay, we got this huge actor and he's an imposing figure. Let's shoot him low angle and make him f- just fill the damn frame. Like, just take the whole thing up. Yes. And, and you can't help but be paying attention to what's going on with him was brilliant. That's so smart to do for a first-time director, too. So, so the other thing that I noticed and realized much later in the film is when we first meet Wonderly, mm-hmm. the shots of her uh, during that dialogue were very soft focus. They did that typical, like, and then they weren't. Yes. They stopped and went right to the, the straight focus. And I went, what's going on there? Cause that was a deliberate choice. Mm-hmm. And it, and I didn't know at that time, but they were foreshadowing her not being a good person. <laughs> Yeah, and then, and so they do that, and then there's that moment where in the towards the end where the gun gets knocked to the floor, and she immediately lunges for it, grabs it while she's kind of looking up at them, like, "Is anyone paying attention to me?" Right, and it's like, "Oh, right. there's some more red flag going on." Like she's not the, yep. and I love that Sam just saw right through her, like immediately <laughs> knew. Remarkably, yeah. You know, it's it's so well done. But like Sydney Greenstreet, again, to be he's been acting for a long time, but but film acting is different from stage acting. And right. he just stepped right into it. And it's a shame that he was already like sixty years old when he started acting in films because right. you just think of all the, the, the roles he could have done. And he still yeah. did a lot in a short period of time. I mean, he only acted was it from this movie in 1941? He he passed away in 1954, right? And he has 24 right. acting credits. So, and, well, and and I mean, they they weren't they weren't uh, small acting credits either, right? No. I mean, Casablanca. <laughs> yeah, it's like Maltese Falcon, Casablanca. Yeah. Um, it's like, what are you doing? Like, how are you? How are you doing this? <laughs> It's so doing good. two, three, four movies a year. And w- what was great is, so he was about 350 pounds at the time. Mm-hmm. And he was so big that they had to manufacture, they they had to custom make all his wardrobe. They couldn't use anything from the wardrobe department because wow. they didn't have anything big enough. And the chair that he was sitting in in, in certain scenes, they had to make special for him because they didn't have chairs wide enough for him to sit in. Wow. Yeah. And actually you take that kind of thing for granted nowadays. Yeah. Uh, cause furniture is just made differently nowadays. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They just, they just didn't have stuff in the prop department and the wardrobe department for him. So they're like, all right, well, here we go. What we got to do. Um, so yeah, that was, I, I loved him in this. I, I absolutely adored Sydney green street. And, and you can see too, uh, where he was an influence on characters like the Kingpin and Wilson Fisk in the well, comics. Yeah. Um, that big, Clearly. that big, not only just the big imposing stature, but just the way he carried himself, and the way he went about his business. I can even see some Lex Luthor in there, too. Oh, uh, yeah, that too. Yeah. What is funny is, uh, so I did Spider-Man Homecoming last week was the movie that I covered, and that had the Vulture in it. And the Vulture was right. originally su- 
Stan Lee wanted him to look and be based off of Sydney Green Street. And I can't remember who the art who the uh, artist was that he was working with, if it was Ditko or somebody else, but they they were like back yeah. then. Yeah. And they were like, nah, let's, yeah, it could, let's it make it. It definitely him could thin. have been Ditko. I, I yeah. seem to think it was that, but he he made him thin and frail, more more bird like, right. which made more sense. Uh, to see a big fat guy with the wingsuit would have I just looked... can't see a Green Street looking guy <laughs> as the vulture. But yeah, I just oh, to it, I don't know. I don't know what to say. Like he had some of the best lines. He had that line of like, "I like to talk to people who enjoy talking." Uh, yes, and well, uh, his um, his toast. Of like you know here's to uh, here's to like straight talking and and easily understood or something like that. I think I, like I have that, it, yeah. I have it captured. I'll play it in a little bit. Um, cool. But then that so there's that first scene. That second scene where Bogart comes back, where Sam comes back to the parlor and he's wearing the robe. Yes, is great because at first it feels very much like the first scene, and it was around the first time he got up and like refilled his drink where I thought that's odd. Like it's friendly, yeah. but almost too friendly. And then he refilled it another time and sat down on the couch next to him. And I'm like, something's not yep. right here. <laughs> right. So, something's yeah. not. Something's well, not and immediately, and 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 again, doing the just the simple blurred scene mm-hmm. from Sam's perspective, and it's just one scene. It wasn't anything extended. Uh, it was just like, oh, something's wrong. Yeah, <laughs> and, yep. and and they do that whole thing, and then he whips off the the robe, and he goes, yeah. "Okay, now I can go go back to my working clothes." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was like that's a nice small touch of like, oh no, he was he was planning this the whole time, and now we're going to reveal that by he pulls his robe off, and he's he's already fully dressed, and then you see right. Joel Cairo come out of the other room, and it's like, whoa, wait a second, what's going on here? Because at the mention right. of the name Fat Man, he got so agitated earlier. Yes, and then for yes. him to show up, it's like, oh boy, the the plot is thickening very quickly on us here. Now, is that the scene where, yeah, because Sam was passed out, and was it Joel or was it Wilmer who came in and like kicked him when he was down? It was Wilmer. Wilmer did not it was like Wilmer. Sam. No, no, <laughs> I felt kind of bad for Wilmer, except he was useless. He really was, and, uh, and and Sam made sure he knew that, and yeah, Wilmer did not. <laughs> Poor Wilmer. Yeah, like he tr- he was Wilmer. trying, but it was like it was like uh, like if they had established him as actually uh, Gutman's kid, not and he did he did reference him as like us he was like a son to him. Yeah. Um. But if he if he actually was Gutman's kid, it, it just would reek of that whole trying hard to impress daddy. Uh, type thing, which he clearly still was, mm-hmm. um, and unsuccessfully so. Uh, <laughs> and, and it was, uh, it, but the one thing that struck me, and and I think it's due to modern film sensibilities, is after he kicked Sam, and I think he kicked him in the head once. Yeah, he um, did. There were no marks on Sam. Nope. <laughs> no, and what's funny about that is like, you would think that that would be a detail that they would have, but maybe it's just like you said, kind of modern film thing where that would definitely, there would, there would be a bruise or something there. Cause he kicks him hard. He does, um, and, but maybe it was on purpose. Maybe it was just to show how hard boiled he really was. That's true. That could be, uh, I don't know. I did love the introduction of Wilmer 
in the the two different introductions we got to him were great because the first one is when he's trying to tail Sam, and and Sam figures it out and goes to the apartment building and just does the whole hit all the buttons till somebody lets you in, uh, which is, I think right. the first, this might be the first iteration of that. I don't know. I think I read something where oh, there was be. like a there was a Popeye cartoon like a year earlier that did something like it, but like Figured. to to think of that and. And you see him do that and just go into the building and come right back out. And I love the look on his face. He just like, yeah, I got you, buddy. And he leaves. Right. Um, but then his next introduction in the hotel lobby is is awesome because you got Sam who has already pegged him. And it's like, Wilmer, you've already lost. But he's trying. Again, he's trying so hard to keep that. He's got his tough right. guy thing going on. And he's trying to be threatening to him. But he's he doesn't have all the cards. And Sam does. And Sam's kind of letting him know that. Um, I just I enjoy. Now is that, is that the one where roles. Sam kind of uh, ties him up with his jacket? That's after. Or is that, so that later, that okay. was later. This was the one where he's they're just in the lobby and he kind of like he finds him reading the newspaper and then he brings over the right the security guy of the hotel, um, Luke I think was his name and and they get him to they get the guy to leave. Yeah, the tying him up with his own jacket was great. <laughs> It was just like, and, and you could tell, I mean, Wilmer had his hands in his jacket pocket the entire time that he was walking down the hallway and you're going, I don't know. I don't know about you, but I was like going, he's got guns. Oh yeah. <laughs> there are guns in there. Totally. And, and, and do it and just went behind him, pulled his jacket down to kind of tie him up a little bit, took the guns and said, Hey, here you go. <laughs> he, boy, Sam doesn't like guns, but man, does he have some tricks to get them away from people and yes. not get shot. It's impressive. Um, Mary yeah, had, in fact, oh, that, that first time, I, I'm sorry. So that's that, that, um, mm-hmm. first time where he disarms Peter Laurie. Yes. <laughs> and then gives the gun back to him. I was half expecting him to disarm him again. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, like they could have done that gag a few times and just kept doing it. And it would have been hilarious. A spoof right. would have done that. A comedy would have definitely oh, absolutely. done it a couple more times. Um, so yeah, uh, Mary Astor is Bridget O'Shaughnessy slash, uh, Wonderly, um, whatever other name she goes by. I really liked her in this because she is playing the femme fatale, but isn't the femme fatale. Right. Right. And Which there really wasn't one. There wasn't one. Uh, and, and I, I'm glad for that because that you expect that in your, in your noir and your hard boiled type stories. And she, she fills that role, but she's not doing it in, in the, the, um, tropey way that we're used to right she is yeah definitely not a, a, a virtuous person she's got a dark past that we don't really know much about but it's the way she goes about kind of she never breaks that character even when right. sam kind of calls her on it all the time over and over yeah it was um that, that was another another one of those uh weird plot points that happened really quickly where towards the end she's going you know I'm in love with you, and I'm going. You guys have known each other for like five minutes, right? I mean, what's going on here? It's, it's, it's only and, and it I don't hasn't know if that's been a week. Yeah, and I don't know if that's uh, if that was on purpose in terms of showing kind of how manipulative she was trying to be unsuccessfully, but um, or or if it was just again a storytelling method from back then. 
Also, there's a little bit of that storytelling method because I think that there's like that moment when she first walks into his uh, office and they both pause and kind of stare at each other for a second. That's maybe supposed to be the love at first sight idea. So there's a little bit of that, but there's also a little bit of that manipulation because as we go, as the story progresses and her story keeps changing and even, even after he calls her out on it, it's like how much of that story is true. And she's like, well, there's parts of it that are. You know, right. He so Sam never falls for her ruse, and I think some of that is endearing to her, like she likes that about him, because he right. can see through her. But also, she's an unreliable uh, narrator of any kind. Like you can't trust any story she tells you because none of them have been true so far. So right, she's never been straight with the, the her purpose at all. Yeah, yeah, right up and right up to the end when we find out that she was the one that shot Richmond, like right, uh, you know, and that. I, and I, I, even that the whole the whole way that got wrapped up where <laughs> she's a pleading to him and he's just going, well, you know, you probably get life, and if you're a good girl, they'll let you out in twenty in twenty years, <laughs> yeah. and I'll be and I'll be waiting, but if they hang you, I'll remember you, <laughs> and I'm like. Who says that? (laughs) That is like, again, it's terrible to say to somebody, but it's, it's like rolling your own cigarettes. Like, God damn, you just sound so cool saying it too, though. Yep. Like, oh, and, and really, I mean, only Humphrey Bogart's going to be able to deliver a line like that. Absolutely. Yes. With that, with his voice, with his cadence, it's just that, that look that he can give. It's that effortless cool. It's that Dean Martin type cool where it's just like, yeah, I know I'm good. Um, okay. So here I had, while I was watching this, this, this movie is, you know, 1941. So we're talking 80 years old now. So it got me thinking like, all right, if I were going to remake the Maltese Falcon, um, obviously there'd be a lot of story beats and, and storytelling methods that would change, but the characters I would want to keep the same. And so I started thinking about actors working today and who I would cast in some of these roles, just because I think stuff like that can be fun sometimes to like throw out names. Yeah. Like for me, the character of Wilmer when I was watching this, for some reason, don't don't ask me why this was the name that popped into my head. I kept seeing Scott Kahn as Wilmer. Interesting. That's because, a really interesting choice. <laughs> because Scott Kahn to me can fit that role of like I'm gonna try really hard. He can be he can attempt to be menacing and like almost reach that point where you believe it, but he's not quite there because he's not real tall. Right. But I just something about him. Always trying to live up to daddy. (laughs) Yeah, there's that too. So there was something about like I just that was the name that popped into my head. And like Interesting. So there was that one. Then I had for Bridget, the the name that popped into my head was Florence Pugh. Because I think that she could I feel like she could capture that ability to seem seem as though she is putting on an air of innocence without being innocent. Yes. In a in a believable yeah. manner. Like in a way that as the audience we would want to believe her, but then somebody in the movie could be like, I don't believe it at all. And then as soon as you hear somebody say that, you're like, Oh yeah, no, I don't believe her at all. Like there's something well, about and it, Yeah, yeah, and then her I mean let's face it, her turn in, in Black Widow and in Hawkeye, she she mm-hmm. has the ability to make you believe one thing and 
be underhanded at the same time. Yes. Yep. <laughs> she has she has that deceptive ability uh within her. So uh yeah, I think that's that's a really cool choice. Uh, um Joel Cairo. Tell me tell me if maybe maybe it's just a, uh, well, a weird look thing. Who who would you Yeah. Who, who, I mean, it seems it seems overly obvious, but I think it's got to it's still got to be Buscemi. See, I would a younger Steve Buscemi, yes, sure, I'll, I'll grant you that. I'll, uh, I'll grant you that uh, Fargo era Steve Buscemi or Reservoir yes. Dogs, like that mid nineties. But t- today, this was the name that popped in my head was Rami Malek. Oh yeah, of course, yeah. Like, no, uh, he could you're right. You're he right. could do that Peter Laurie thing perfectly in, in that role, like. The, and not, the part not that I get a little concerned about though is the cadence, you know, because Peter Laurie's very unique. He is, but I think w- if you cast Rami Malek, you don't have him do Peter Laurie, but he can give you, you can. the he can he can give you the lane that Peter Laurie, you know, he can play in that same play uh, play play area. So I, I kind of like that. Now here's where I go a little different. So for Kurtman, for the Fat Man, I had two names that popped into my head. Mm. One would work much better, I think, a few years ago. Um, but the two names that popped in my head for Kurtman were Robbie Coltrane. Oh, okay, yep. yep. Or John or John Goodman. Oh, really good choices. I almost because I was trying to think, think of I... of like big actors, like large framed yeah. actors. But I didn't. I, I also wanted. I didn't want a comedic actor. But I wanted somebody no. that had comedy ability to them. And both Coltrane and Goodman can be funny, right? But they can. John Goodman especially can. Yes, can be downright scary. And I feel like. But but is he too scary? That's the thing. Like, that's cause, that's cause where I'm wondering. Seeing him seeing him as a bad guy, he comes off real scary. Mm. I mean, even 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 when he was in. Uh, the West Wing as the interim president. Yeah, uh, he was he was pretty menacing. <laughs> um, and, and honestly, I would love to see Coltrane do it. There's I mean, something about just... like I just love Robbie Coltrane in general. Like yeah. he's he's so much fun to see in in anything. And I, I I feel like he would have that was the first name that popped in my head. And I feel like he would have that um, that jovial nature that Sydney Greenstreet brought to it. And yep. the delivery of some of those lines, and like some of that bantery thing that he, uh, I feel like Coltrane has that same kind of timing. Yes. And now here's yeah, where. Well, I, okay, go, go. I was just gonna say, just, just gonna say, like the the easy answer, like when you said that, my my initial, because I I got stuck on the Marvel stuff, uh, just <laughs> Florence Pugh and 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 whatnot. So immediately I went Vincent D'Onofrio, but he's not lighthearted enough. Yeah, D'Onofrio like, would be a darker. Bantery. He's not bantery enough. No, right? No, and so I, he can do comedy. I mean, him, him in Men in Black was he was funny, but sure. but he's but him in a comedy. To so far, what I have seen is typically he's playing more of the straight man that the goofy character plays off of, and and Kurtman in this is a little more goofy, a little more in that direction. I don't think yes. that D'Onofrio couldn't do it, but it would be a very different version of him absolutely uh for sure now here's where i really go uh in a different direction because sam spade all right you got your private eye he's got to be again effortless effortlessly cool i can't say that word so he's just got to be able to just be cool and two names popped into my head the first one 
with Jonathan Majors. Okay. There's something about, and, and it's because I watched him in Lovecraft Country, and then I watched him in Loki. And right. he was two different sides of the spectrum, but he was so cool in both of them. Like he just, there was something about, there was something about his version of the, the one who, rem, he who remains in Loki. Yes. That, right. that gave me that feeling. And I'm like, I would love to see Jonathan Majors just get to like chew on this type of role. But the other one was Lakeith Stanfield. And in that, and this is mostly based off of him in um, Knives Out which is the most recent thing that I could think of right, him in. Right, right, But he's got that same kind of like, he just walks into a room and he's the coolest guy there. Like, he's just like, he's the dude you want to hang out with and chat with. And I feel like he could somehow, it would be a very different version of Sam Spade from Humphrey Bogart. Yeah. But it would fit a more modern storytelling style. And I just feel like one of those two, whether it's Majors or Stanfield, would just be so cool to see playing this private eye and that ability to roll with the punches and slide into and like, and just just go with whatever's happening on a moment's notice and spin on a dime. I just feel like both of them could pull that off. Yeah, I, I think if if we were ten fifteen years ago doing this, uh, I might have gone somebody like Costner. I could see Costner if it was late nineties, early two thousands. I could see like a Brad Pitt doing it because he has that that sort of um, feel if you were trying to remake this set in the forties, um, a uh, a mid two thousands George Clooney I think could have fit that bill. In some ways, uh, the the problem that I have with even those is uh, with Bogart you just get that like you're not like you're not going to mess with him. It, mm-hmm. It's not just the confidence thing. There's a, he's got a look about him. You're just not going to mess with him. Yeah, and and I don't get that as much from Pitt or Clooney, perhaps, mm-hmm. maybe. I see. I see um, what you're saying. It, yeah, but it's just that more of that uh, that because they're they're great for what they do. I just there's just something about the way Bogart ha- happens to be. Yeah, um, and, that, and that I'd want to I'd want to capture with Sam Spade. I mean. Mm-hmm. And that's where uh, Jonathan Majors popped into my head because yeah. he is not only able to be that cool guy and roll with everything, but also, like, if he hits you, you're going down. You're not going to mess with Jonathan Majors because right. all you, all you got to do is watch an episode of Lovecraft Country and just see him take his shirt off. And you're like, yep, nope, that guy, he can, <laughs> he can, he can, he can take care of himself. So, yeah. yeah, that's where I went with those. I just, it felt, those were the names that popped into my head. And I was like, I would watch that movie. I would love to see yeah, and, a, a, a modern version of this. And even with him in, in his He Who Remains role, he had that confidence and ability to just roll with whatever. Because mm-hmm. he, 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 he did that whole like, well, you can do whatever you want, but it's still going to end up this way. Yeah, exactly. So that whatever. Was, that was Search the, part the office. Of, yeah. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Like that was the part for me um, – when he played that where I was like, okay, this guy's got some range and I'm really excited to see what he does because I had just watched Lovecraft country and he was so different in that. And I'm like, good. Yeah. I like to see actors get to stretch and do some different stuff without having to be a quote unquote character actor. Right. Um, so yeah, that was a lot of fun. So I just, I thought that'd be a fun thing to go over and, and throw out a few names there. If you, th- if you have any yeah, that no. popped in your head, uh, I'd love to hear uh, it. It, it really was, uh, you know the the 
the Gutman one was was the one that was the most the most difficult for me because I was uh, you know just trying to to think of who could fit that role. Um, I I think Florence Pugh is a great choice, but I, I keep trying to figure out is there somebody else that we're just not thinking of. Um, and I mean I'm in that. I'm, sh- I'm sure there are, but like it, the, her name that was the one that just popped in my head immediately is like, yeah, because I was yeah. thinking of her as Yelena. And the way that, like you said, she can be sinister and endearing at the same time. And, like, the character needs that. So even if it's not her, you need somebody that can give you both of those those feelings simultaneously. Right. And, and right. She, she, like, right now she just is one of those that can do that. I guess, I mean, there are other actors working that are as good, if not better, than her. I just feel like, sure. like she just... That was the first name that popped in my head. I'm like, I could see Florence Pugh playing this. Uh, do you have a thought for Archer? Even though he's only in for 10 minutes. But, you know, I mean, uh, Richard Brake kind of comes to mind because, but uh. anytime I think of any kind of creepy, leery guys, I think of Richard Brake because he's just so good at it. Like, yep. he just, yep. he, it's, it's not his fault. He just has that kind of look about him. Like, right. He's a lovely right. person, I'm sure. I'm sure he's a wonderful sure. person. But boy, can he play creep. Uh, right. <laughs> um, but I didn't think about that much because he's only in the movie for two minutes. So it was like I, right, I had more right. time with these other characters to think about them. And I'm just picturing like, you know, Scott Kahn getting knocked out effortless, you know, with, with no effort, like multiple times. I got to stop trying right. to say that word because it just I, I doesn't know. work. <laughs> it just doesn't work. So uh, the, the question I had for you is uh, I I was still – really unsatisfied at the end of this movie (laughs) (laughs) and and the fact that we haven't gotten a remarkable sequel um is is kind of amazing to me particularly given all of the legend and history around the the maltese falcon i think I would like to see it, but I think what ended up happening was a lot of people would take the ideas of the Maltese Falcon, the style, the, the, the main story beats, and they would distill those down and refine those and go, go in a different direction with them. Instead of just saying, here's the story of the Maltese Falcon and we're going to make that again, or we're going to continue that. They took the style of story that this is, those hard boiled detective stories. And they just kept refining that, or they kept using bits and pieces of it. Like everybody, everybody kind of working against each other, but not really like you see that in a lot of the confidence scam movies, movies like oceans, movies like confidence, uh, which I think is highly underrated by the way. Confidence is a great movie with Edward Burns. I haven't seen it. Oh, it's good. Um, it's, uh, you see a lot of that happening where I would, I still would love to see like, take this story and modernize it and set it in this, in, in, and, and not only modernize the story setting, but the the storytelling kind of method. Right. So what what I was thinking is, what if somebody made a movie as a sequel now, but it actually takes place now, and so they haven't found the Falcon in the last Ooh. eighty years or whatever it is, and like you know, and then because then you can still pay homage to the old and leave it as pristine as it is. But still, this Falcon is legendary. It's out there, and we still can't find it. And 
honestly, if I do, if if it's done, what I want is I don't want like oh, it's it's Sam Spade's great grandson or something. No, 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 no. Don't no, tie no. it to the characters. But yes, put it in that world. So there's somebody out there who's still looking for this Maltese Falcon and still nobody's found the real one, right? Like we can get some sort of a thing where, yeah, after after the stuff that happened in San Francisco, you know, uh, Cairo and, and, and Cutman or Gutman or whatever, they went to Istanbul to find it again. And then it was lost for 50 years. And oh, that'd be cool. Right. I could I could see that. Because that way, yeah, you don't have to taint the original thing. Yeah, and and yeah, and and you know, you could even like. I will say that when he said he was going to Istanbul, I'm going. I really want to see what happens. <laughs> I mean, know? admittedly, um, that would be pretty cool to see. I wouldn't mind that. Yeah, there's there's your movie. You get Robbie Coltrane, uh, Rami Malek, and Florence Pugh, and it's them going to Istanbul to get the Maltese Falcon. It's, uh, Look, Hollywood, you can idea. get a hold of me. It's tvstravis at gmail.com. Right. My my fee is very low. I work cheap. We can do this. Let's make something happen here. I, right. I, I would watch that movie. I would watch the the follow-up to this of them like continuing on going after it. Or even just yeah. having even if like your opening to your movie is that. Your opening scene, like your soft open, is right. them going to Istanbul and something goes wrong and then the Falcon disappears and now we transport ourselves forward 80 years and now it's present day. Yes. And here's some more people that are looking for it because it's just disappeared for all that time. I would love that. Yep. Yeah. And and I and I picture like dozens of fakes throughout oh, yeah. the world. Oh yeah. Yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. and just it's just a hunt and yeah. Um and uh, a, find, uh, a small finder's fee to Essential Tremor in the chat for coming up with our title, which is Chasing the Falcon. I like it. Oh, that works. That's not bad. That's good. Yep. That's good stuff. Uh, knowing, knowing Essential Tremor, I expect a poster for Chasing the Falcon posted into Discord uh, by the end of the night. So, <laughs> Oh, had yeah, it been done would... 22 years ago, you could have uh, called it the Millennium Falcon. <sighs> you want to come back to the show, right? It was... <laughs> At some point, you would like to come back. It was, it was right there. <laughs> I can't blame you. I can't. I really can't blame you. You, you just it's set up on a T. Um, I mean, it felt dirty saying it. If that helps. <laughs> so one of my favorite bits of trivia when I was reading about this was uh, the smoking in the movie. So there's a lot of smoking in the movie, and it's a movie that's set in the 1940s. It's filmed in the 1940s. I expected that. That didn't right. surprise me at all. Um, really, I figure anything that's set or that's filmed before like 1989, I expect a bunch of smoking. Right. I love this story though. There is an inordinate amount of smoking done by the main actors in this film. According to then studio employee, Stuart Jerome, this resulted in a feud between the uh, studio head, Jack Warner and Humphrey Bogart and Peter Lorre. So Warner hated seeing actors smoking on the screen because his worry was that it would make the smokers in the audience want to get up and go out and have a cigarette. Okay. He wasn't oh, anti I thought about that aspect of it. That's exactly. Crazy. That's probably my favorite part of this is that's his reasoning is not, I don't like smoking. It's I don't want people getting up and, and leaving the theater. So, so he didn't want it. So he, um, told John Houston, all right, keep the smoking to a minimum. Bogart and Lori found out about this. And thought it would be super fun to just smoke, just chain smoke in the movie okay. and just mess with him. <laughs> See, that makes way more sense now because 
like they were rolling new cigarettes every scene. It yep. seemed like. Oh yeah. So so the way the story goes is that uh, they got um, Mary Astor and Sydney Greenstreet to go along with it, and so they were all just smoking constantly. And in that final, uh, that scene, that last scene, the last like twenty minutes in the movie, that all takes place at um, Sam Spade's place. The initial filming, it the the uh, they were smoking heavily in it, obviously. The rushes got to Jack Warner, who saw it and got very upset and told John Huston, you cut back the smoking or you don't have a job here anymore. So they refilmed a bunch of stuff and there was then a noticeable lack of smoking to it, which Houston was then like, yeah, this doesn't fit with the rest of the movie at all. And it doesn't really fit with the tone of the scene. Like these are a bunch of people in a tense situation. They're going to be smoking. And so he had to relent to it. But... <laughs> I just love that Humphrey Bogart and Peter Lorre almost got John Huston fired because they were like, you know, it'd be fun. Let's just smoke all the time. Cause Warner doesn't want it. Like just yeah. to mess with him. Oh yeah. Like, well, what's he going to do? Fire us? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, I guess he'll fire the director. All right. All right. Fine. Right. We won't do it anymore. But like, there's stories about that. There's like, um, there, uh, I guess pranks were very big on the set. Um, hmm. they, and to the point where Houston and some of the cast and crew would have like, they could call out prank numbers like they could call out a number and then people would do those things when they'd have like studio people on set or uh, there was one I read that was hilarious. It was there was a scene going on and they had a bunch of like somebody brought a bunch of priests onto the set to watch filming and Mary Astor said like, oh, I've got to run in my goddamn pantyhose and and the guy's like sh- like ushering all the priests off the set because she's swearing I just, it seems like this was a very fun movie for them to make. Uh, yeah, John, John yeah. Houston got to have his father in a cameo. Yeah, I and I didn't notice him. I read about it afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yeah, that's very, very cool. Yeah. Uh, and I guess there's also a story about he ran a prank on his own father uh, the day, that night after filming his little cameo. Um, he had Mary Astor call up pretending to be like a studio secretary telling him that uh somebody thought he was overacting and and he got all upset about it like i've never been accused of overacting in my life and fine you know what fine i'll come back in tomorrow and we'll do the the thing again and then then john houston grabs the phone and basically says the same thing and just ruffles him up even more and it wasn't until he just started laughing that his father figured out that he was you know pulling pulling a fast one on him like i can see that happening yeah. It seems like the kind of stuff that would happen. And and I love reading stories like that. It, they just make me laugh. So, yes, the, Panda, you're right. The, Getting lung cancer to own the director. Well, own the studio. Right. You're owning the studio head, though. So, right. <laughs> Very different at that point. <laughs> um, <laughs> Very much. So. Uh, one, one of the things that I thought was really interesting, one of the pieces of trivia that I read were, was the the number of Falcons that were used in the movie, particularly given the fact that. We barely saw the Maltese Falcon. Yeah, they had like eight of them or something. Yeah, and and two of them were lead. Like those actually weighed fifty pounds, so, which almost certainly were the ones that we saw wrapped up. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I guess because one got they, dropped. One got dropped on Bogey's foot. Jeez. Yeah. Well. Yeah. That. <laughs> but, but you could see the the heft, mm-hmm. like of the wrapped up one. Like there was a struggle to move it, and and I saw that and I went. That 
is either some amazing acting or that thing's full of rocks or something. Yeah. And yeah, it was apparently they had they had made lead Maltese Falcons. And, and there's there's only a couple of them left. There's a like I think either one or both of the lead ones and like one of the plaster ones that's left uh authenticated and they've sold at auction for ridiculous amounts of money. I guess one of them um Leo apparently Leo DiCaprio owns one and he had he really? he brought it to and they it's in the background in one of the scenes of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood which makes me want to go look for that because I think that would yeah. be awesome. But yeah, I read that and I could not believe they had eight of those things. I'm like, it's on screen for like 10 seconds. You barely see it except right. for that one scene. But you're right. That heft is definitely there. You can tell that they had to have made it out of something heavy because there's no way all of the people picking that up and moving it around are going to be able to act that well that it's heavy right. for something that isn't. The, so. the the other thing that was that was really odd to me, and, and again, mainly because I hadn't seen the movie, was they talked about the Maltese Falcon being covered in jewels and just being like this really expensive artifact. But, yeah. and, but then it was covered with enamel to kind of hide that. But we never saw even a picture of nope. it in its true state. Yeah, all we ever saw was, was the black enameled version. Which is why I need to see what happens. <laughs> I know, I know. And, and Ace, you're right. I didn't even mention that it's gone off at auction for about three times as much as it cost to make the movie. Unbelievable. Is, is what they sold that one prop for. It's one of the most expensive movie props out there. And it's funny because, I mean, I would have sworn up till like a few days ago that I had seen this movie before and I hadn't, but I know the name of Maltese Falcon. Everybody knows the Maltese Falcon. And it's, it, again, it's been parodied and, and spoofed and done homage to death. Like there's so many, right. even in, in stuff that you would never think of, like kids animated shows. I'm sure, I believe the Animaniacs did one or somebody, I, I think there was like Garfield and Friends that had like the Maltese Pigeon or something like yeah, and I am ninety percent sure it was either Animaniacs or Tiny Toons that had that had that in it. Yeah, might have been Tiny yeah. Toons. You're right, but it's definitely like it's it's just it's a title it's that you know, and honestly, it's a movie worth seeing. Like I had a blast watching it. It was super super. I fun. did too, and like I said, I laughed more than I thought I was going to, and it was more because of some of the lines just coming out of Bogart's face. I just I mm -hmm. I went okay I whatever <laughs> that's that's cool and just the way he just had all but disregard for anybody else <laughs> yeah oh yeah no he's just, looking out for number one and yep, he's yep. sam spade is all about himself speaking of lines i did capture a few bits of audio i gotta play him because cool honestly it's like it's like, worth it this was th this was one uh that i really like this you mentioned this one this is uh bogey with one of his um great bits of slang birds cracking foxy Birds Kraken Foxy. Yeah. Uh, that one was one I had to rewind. I'm like, did I hear what I think I heard prop like correctly? Let's get that 15 second rewind. Birds Kraken Foxy. Yep. I, I kind of want to work that into my lexicon. Like, I just want to yeah. say that to people. Um, let's see. Uh, this was Peter Lorre. You always have a very smooth explanation ready, huh? Just uh, like that's a great line delivery too. It's, yeah, it really I, is. I can't quite tell what accent he's doing. Like the affectations on uh, that he's putting out there are, are weird, but oh, it's so good. It's the Peter Lorre accent. Yes, that <laughs> you're right. That's what it is. Um, 
let's see, what was... Oh, this was a, a weir- another weird one that I had to rewind and make sure I heard it right. And this was towards the end when um, they get the phone call and Sam is like, all right, I'm going to take the package. I'm going to leave. I got the phone call. This package was never here. You know, he's he's telling his secretary all oh, the yeah. stuff to do. And then when he leaves, he, he looks at her and he goes, You're a good man, sister. You're a good man, sister. And I was like, okay, hold on just a second. <laughs> What? <laughs> yeah, I, I noticed that too, and it, 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 that was one of the ones that made me chuckle because it was just it was like the relationship between the two of them. Oh, there that like, was great. What was what was interesting is like it was a, obviously a very close relationship, but no sexual tension whatsoever. None. Like there was just like nope. They she just works for him. Yeah, she'll roll his cigarettes for him and like hold it up to his mouth to lick the the papers. Right, but. But that's just what you do. It's yeah, right. it was it was never like it wasn't even like a like a 007 money penny thing where like he's constantly right. hitting on her. It was just there was just this ease that they had with each other. And I kind of like I almost want to know that backstory. I want to know how they met. Yeah. How they were so close and so confident and, and comfortable with each other. That you um, could see you could see that that uh, discussion of like, yeah, you're going to hire me. And yeah. It's like, well, <laughs> yes. I don't know. I don't know that I need an assistant. Oh, no, but it doesn't matter because, like, I'm working for you. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Next thing you know, she's almost, working there, and it's like, oh, I guess I hired you. All right. Almost a, a little uh, Sam Spadish. Yeah. <laughs> she's know? kind of – she's, she's the yin to his yang in a lot of yeah. ways. Um, I just – again. Ah, uh, horse feathers. I had to get horse feathers. <laughs> ah, horse feathers. Yeah, of course. Um, uh, let's see. This was um, when he's – Talking to the district attorney. You and the police because you'd only gum up the works. You're getting this all right, son, or am I going too fast for you? No, sir. I'm getting it all right. <laughs> this is great. Because he went for like 30 seconds straight. Like, it yeah. was impressive. Uh, I got a couple of Sydney Green Street. Uh, Here's to plain speaking and clear understanding. That's what it was. Plain speaking, plain speaking and clear understanding. understanding. And then this was the last one I got, and it was again Sydney Green Street. And it was just it's one of those lines. This is the one that made me think of Robbie Coltrane. I tell you right out, I'm a man who likes talking to a man who likes to talk. I'm a man who likes talking to a man who likes to talk. Oh, just yes, man, so good. This is a fun movie. I, this is a great pick. I love going back and seeing some of these classics. Uh, I have gone back and watched things like The Apartment, which I I had no idea. Like, so the apartment was a movie that I hadn't seen before and I had no clue what it was. I was just like, it's got Jack Lemmon and it's about an apartment, I guess. And that movie that blew Neil me Simon? away. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. And directed by Billy Wilder. And it blew me away what that was. Same thing with um, Sunset Boulevard. Like Sunset Boulevard was another Billy Wilder one. I knew the quote, I'm ready for my close up, Mr. DeMille. And that was it. Right. And it just like. It went in directions. It went to places I didn't expect, and I was blown away by it. This was one where I knew the basics of the film, but I was mm-hmm. still pretty blown away by the movie that we got. And then as I dig into it, I'm like, John Huston, st- this was the first thing he directed. Like, he had written and he'd acted, but to step into the director's yeah. role and the, into that chair with personalities like Humphrey Bogart and bringing in somebody like Sidney Greenstreet off the stage and putting them in a movie for the first time and just crushing it. And like, for me, when I think of John Huston, 
the first thing I think of, believe it or not, is The Hobbit because he was Gandalf the Grey, the voice of Gandalf right. in the, the old Rankin-Bass Hobbit, and that had such a profound effect on me as a kid that once I got old enough to start looking up names of actors, I wanted to know who did that because his voice is just something else. Like, John right. Huston's voice is amazing. And so then, you know, then I find out about him in that, and then I see him in things like Chinatown, and, you know, you find out that his daughter is Angelica Houston, and right. um, is it his... Yeah, his son is Danny Houston um, as well because uh, from a different marriage, I think, or something, or a different relationship. Yeah, and for some reason, I'm not I'm not picturing him. Uh, he was Colonel Stryker in X-Men Origins Wolverine. He was in 30 oh, Days of right. Um <clears throat> Yep, yep, yep. So, like, I, I it's just, it's amazing. And then, but then to think, like, yeah, oh, yeah, by the way, he's also a director that just did a whole bunch of stuff. Like, right. a whole bunch right. of stuff. And right. and some really good films too, like a bunch. And a he bunch didn't more. act first. That's the other remarkable thing, because you usually see the actors turning directors, not the other way around. Yeah, yeah, that's true. He didn't start acting. Well, no, I, I mean he acted before, but it was all like little uncredited things. He was mostly writing. So yeah, you're right. He was he was a director before he was an actor. So it's uh, yeah, it is it is pretty remarkable. Um, the, the only other thing I was going to say about the, uh, the, one of the, one of the things that stuck out to me in this movie was, yeah. uh, Wilmer mm-hmm. at the very end when he, when he f- understands what his fate is, having him have tears streaming down his face mm-hmm. oh. was jarring because one, I didn't expect that they would show that level of emotion in a movie, particularly for men back yeah. then. Mm-hmm. And two, just he was broken. He was completely broken at that point. Yeah. And it was it was remarkable. And and for all the crap that that the, for all for all the terrible person that Wilmer is and and everything, he showed some vulnerability there. And it was it was awesome. He did. And then for him to make his way out of the room while they're all fawning over the actual Falcon. And all of that, and he just slips out, and the only one that notices it is Sam, and Sam's just like, yeah, whatever, I don't care. Like, right. I'm just gonna let him go. And then when they realize yeah. it, and he just points to the door, he's like, "Yep, dude, dude already left." Like, it, I love that. But you're right; I didn't even think about that. That is a that is one of those moments that, again, it's like it's like some of the stuff that happened in Sunset Boulevard and in um, the apartment, and those are the movies I think of because of the the kind of older Hollywood films that I. I've seen recently that I don't expect. It's those mm-hmm. moments in those movies. Where I'm like, wow, they, they went there in this movie. And I just didn't think that they would do that here. And to have that level of vulnerability and that kind of gut punch for that character wasn't something I expected to see. And it adds, it's another layer to add on to, to just make the movie, I think more effective. Yes. I'm still kind of a minor character. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's barely. I mean, he doesn't have a lot of lines. He's mostly just played almost for laughs, um, right? But it's good. This is a really really good movie. I mean, there's a reason that it's high on a bunch of lists, and it's definitely when you think of hard boiled detectives and noir films, like The Maltese Falcon is one of those that set the standard for it. It it helped to yes. create that that look and that feel, and just Humphrey Bogart. I'll just watch him do anything. He's just so no damn kidding. cool. Yeah. I just give me two hour loop of Humphrey Bogart rolling cigarettes and I'm fine. I'm good. 
right. and then and then lighting that lighter. He doesn't have to light the cigarette; just light the oh, lighter. So good. The coolest, the coolest damn lighter in the history of the world. Right yep. there. Well, Kurt, thank you so much for being on this week. This was super fun. Thanks for having me. It, it was it was a lot of fun. I was really looking forward to it. Yeah, I once I started watching the movie, I'm like, oh, this is gonna be good. This is gonna be fun. And I've wanted to have you on for a while, so it was great to finally you know reach out and have you want to come on and, and I had a good yeah. time. Now, where can people find you? You said you do reviews on Marvel stuff. Where can people find that or whatever else you're working on? Yeah, so uh, pretty much all over the place. I'm at Vo by Kurt on Twitch, on Twitter, on Instagram, on TikTok. Um, but I do three, uh, main things. Uh, I do a weekly podcast called this week in MCU, where we do a pretty much a scene by scene breakdown of every episode from Marvel that is currently on Disney plus. Okay. Uh, so we're wrapping up moon Knight this coming week, uh, which is going to be fun. And, and we also do the, um, the movies as well. So we'll be reviewing Dr. Strange. Uh, as well. So there's that. Um, I'm on uh, a co-host for From the Helicarrier, where we do, it's a podcast about Marvel Strike Force. Uh, it's a mobile uh, game. Uh, Marvel Properties is pretty strong in my in my list of stuff. Um, and then I do a separate thing called Storytime with Kurt, where my goal is to read you read to you as if I was reading to my own kids or grandkids. Nice. And so it's not meant to be an audiobook. It literally is meant to in- include all the flubs and my my comments if I have any <laughs> comments. Um, so that's that's the, the when I'm reading the books, that's that's that part. There's a side shot of Storytime with Kurt, which is something that I started uh, about six months ago, where I'm producing uh, poetry readings or monologue readings, and the video is pr- is produced by um, another. Uh, YouTuber named He Who Is Steve, nice. and um, we're so we've been doing those, and those have been uh, ironically uh, getting a decent amount of steam on TikTok. Not sure why, but hmm. I don't care. Um, so we've done a bunch of those, and we're about to release the Mark Antony monologue, "Friends, Romans, Countrymen, Lend Me Your Ears" uh, monologue. Ooh, very so cool. um, yeah, uh, so that's yeah, that's that's pretty much what I've been up to. Excellent. Well, anywhere you can find it, it's VO by Kurt. I don't know how you do the VO stuff. It's not like you have this smooth, buttery voice or anything like that. <laughs> that rich baritone. VO by Kurt. Thank you so much for being here this week. This was super fun. If you want to be like Ace and Essential Tremor, and uh, I saw Danny Orr in there earlier, and hanging out in the chat room with us, you can watch the show get recorded live Sunday nights, 8 p.m. Eastern, at twitch.tv slash Travis. Of course, it comes out as a podcast on Wednesdays, anywhere you get your podcasts. You can go to tvstravis.com and find the subscribe button for any platform you want for there. Uh, and if you do listen on a platform like Apple uh, or Spotify, a rating and review helps the show be more discoverable and kind of just helps make the show uh, pop a little more for people who you can't do word of mouth to. So I do appreciate that as well. And, uh, and you can also, if you want to buy me a cup of coffee, ko-fi.com slash... TV's Travis. Uh, and I'm also on Twitter at TV's Travis. So I love to talk uh, pop culture, movies, TV, Marvel. Uh, I want more people to talk Moon Knight with because holy crap, uh, that episode five wrecked me. Oh. Um, it really, it really, it, it, it was, it was a rough one. It, it was not expected <laughs> to go in the directions no. that it went. Um, 
So that was something pretty cool. So, so yeah. Uh, and next week I have, uh, I have some fun stuff coming up. I need to look because I don't actually remember what I'm doing next week. I have so much going on. I also have a show uh, called Those Were the Days that I do with Amy Frost, Audie Norman, and Stephen Adams. We talk about classic TV on that, um, and that is a ton of fun as well. Next week for this show, I am talking about the movie directed by Alex Winter and Tom Stern from 1993 called Freaked. Uh, I have not seen it before, but I'm going to be talking with Jay Funktastic about that. Um, I am excited because I've heard of this movie. I know a little tiny bit about it, but not much. Um, but I'm always up for finding something new. And I, I love Alex Winter, so it's going to be weird. So be ready for that. Uh, but that's what's coming up next week. I've not seen it. I'll, I'll be following that along. I'll have Excellent. to watch it to follow along. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, until next week and uh, watching Freaked with Jay Funktastic, uh, just remember to uh, enjoy your movies and be excellent to each other. This has been Wait You Haven't Seen. I got up on my hind legs, boys, but you fellas trying to rope me made me nervous. Miles getting bumped off upset me, and then you birds cracking Foxy, but it's all right now, now that I know what it's all about. Ah, oh, forget it, Sam. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this broker. <laughs>